0: So uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes all throughout the room on the communion tables. They look like this. They have a cool little coloring thing on the front. We've got crayons on the communion table, so if you start to fall asleep, you can stay awake. Inside of these, you have some notes that go along with the message as well as some questions to go a little bit deeper. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on Live, and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes and verses and questions and announcements. All that goes with today's message, but you don't get the cool coloring thing because Uversion doesn't let you do it. So, if you want to color, you've got to get the. It's just how it works. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Sometimes I'm really sorry for you because of that. So, <laughs> why don't you stay on me for reading of God's Word? We'll get started here. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. It says, When Lemek had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us uh, what it means to trust you in ways that we never have, that we would understand your grace and your goodness given to us, and in turn our lives be lived in such a way the world would know who you are, and the goodness of you by the way your children live. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing our series on Coloring Book All-Stars. I think this is week eight on Coloring Book All-Stars, so we're just kind of barreling through this thing. This is where we, if you were to open a kid's Bible coloring book, these are all the pictures and the stories and all the things that you would have found in there, but we're looking at them in a really honest way. Uh, Today's going to be weird if you have been here for any length of time, like if you were here when we went through the book of Genesis. It's going to be like the Matrix and Deja Vu and the Black Cat walking by twice. Because during Genesis, we took Noah and we covered him in four weeks. Today we're doing it it in one. You're welcome, but there's going to be a whole lot of information, a whole lot of things going on. The thing that we always come down to in the story of Noah is it's a story about God's grace. It's central to Noah's story because Noah's story is essentially God's story. It's all about grace. You get to see all the flaws, the people that we hold up as heroes. Like we looked at Samson. Uh, like in a couple weeks we're going to look at Moses. And today you'll see some of the flaws of this guy named Noah. And so you have these pictures to color. Now normally when we go through these, I give you youngest to the oldest but today I'm going to do the kids color from the oldest to the youngest this is Cassidy she's 10 this is hers right there right uh, this is Chris he's 7 and apparently they live in California they must be kept indoors because their lawns are green I'm not getting it now th- this is my favorite this is Cody. He's 4 I call this world on fire blood in the water welcome to the story of Noah that's right so I'm like, I saw it and I'm dunno, like, no, no. whoa. This kid understands the story of Noah. Wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. So I'm going to kind of be all over the place today. We're going to end at a spot where we bring it all together, but just kind of go with me because i got almost two pages of notes before I even get to starting to talk about Noah. Uh, Hebrew parenting, it is much different than our parenting today. I think in some ways it's better uh, because a major rule in Hebrew parenting was to train your kids to forget about themselves, let go of their self-centered attitudes, and remember God. And in remembering God, the Hebrew found purpose, and they found grace in their life. Lives. Their lives had meaning because it was focused on God and not themselves. Now Noah is born before that Hebrew mindset, and you can see that because of how his father talks about him. It says, "Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands." Sounds like parents today—they got their midget demons, and they're oh, they're perfect, and they protect them when they should be like checked into, look for thirteen hundred dollars in your kid's room. Don't no care how perfect you think they are; it just might be there. That's all I'm saying. Okay, now... If you look at statistically today and some of the surveys that are coming out when they're looking at people, our culture is actually not being bettered by teaching people to focus on themselves, to build up your own self-esteem because you're so wonderful. It's actually starting to make us angrier, less sure of ourselves. or becoming over-medicated and feeling less and less loved. It has made us embrace the fallenness of our lives without ever giving us any hope that we can change because everything is focused on yourself. We have forgotten what we're supposed to remember, that every day is a gift from God. And our lives are supposed to be meant to be focused on who he is... Every day is a gift from him. Now, I'm not saying grind your kids down. What I'm saying is you talk to them about reality, what things are really like. This is why as we go through the coloring book All Stars, we're looking at the reality of who they were and what they did. And there are all kinds of details that lead up to Noah. You have Genesis chapter four, kind of focuses a lot on Cain and his line and the death and destruction that that brought. But then at the end of it, you see this humbleness because all this death and wanton destruction should lead us to a place of we shouldn't do that anymore. place of humbleness so open your bibles to genesis chapter 5 in genesis chapter 5 what happens is the narrative now focuses back on adam's line through his son named seth it has the also shares this air of humility so genesis 5 first book in the bible easy to find uh, chapter 5, verse 1 says this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. Literally, that translates as this is the record of Adam's line. And then there comes this long list of names. And unless you really enjoy reading the phone book for leisure, you're not going to enjoy it. Okay, but that's kind of what it is. and what, Basically, this list goes down, and it says, live, die, live, die, live, die, live, die, and only once does this pattern break, and it comes in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, and it says, Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with with God, It's important because it's the one place that Genesis 5 will stop and not just tell you that somebody lived, but it tells you then how they lived. He lived differently. He lived walking with God. God's will, not ours. Genesis 5 is live, die, live, die, live, die. Enoch is different. And he was not for God took him. This means that he died young in comparison to everybody else in Genesis chapter 5. I mean, he dies at 365 years old, but that's still young in comparison to some of the other people who lived to be like 900 years Plus, you know, I mean, three sixty-five. I get it. He's still the soccer coach. You don't want a stray ball to hit because it'd break him in half, right? But whatever. God took him. You guys are a tough crowd, okay? God took him, and He wants you to know that—that that it wasn't a result of sin in His life. This guy walked. With God, Enoch walked with God. Later when you get to Noah, it's going to use those same words to say Noah walked with God just in a little bit of a different context. This is telling us, like the Coloring Book All-Stars and the people in the Old Testament and us in the New Testament, you know, all of us, we're supposed to live our lives walking with God. That's how we're supposed to live. We're meant to live our lives that way. Enoch isn't living his life selfishly. He's not simply doing his own thing. He walks as God originally intended with Him. That's how he lives. He sticks close to God. He loves God. He appreciates God. He listens to God. Genesis 5 covers 1,656 years of time. And one guy, it says, walks with God. And I'm sure there are times in his life that he was lonely. And sometimes in your life you may feel like this. Is it just me? Like Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel's Is it just me? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fiery furnace. Is it just me? John the baptizer. In All these guys we look at, they got to be feeling like, is it just me? The important thing to remember that Genesis 5 tells you is that God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. He wants to walk with you. The question for us becomes, who do we want to walk with? Do we really want to walk with God? Do we want to walk with somebody or something else? Because the point is live, die, live, die, live, die, or walk with God and live. There's a curse that comes in Genesis chapter 3. And the only way around that curse that breaks relationship with God is begin to walk with God again. Because if you want life that really is life, you walk with God. Uh, Genesis 5, verse 25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Uh, Methuselah is Noah's grandfather. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. This guy is old. He just keeps going. It's like Betty White. He just keeps going on and on. And every time I say Betty White, I'm expecting her to die, but she doesn't. She's going to be like 969 by the time, by the time she goes. That's the oldest guy in the Bible. So when Lemek, that's Methuselah's son, had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. This is where we started and called his name Noah. Now, Genesis 5, it seems the point is to get you from Adam to Noah. That's 10 generations, and it's a critical turning point in history. After Noah, you'll get 10 more generations that take you to the place of this guy named Abraham. Another critical turning point in history and it says this his dad says out of the ground that the lord is cursed this one shall bring his relief from the work and the painful toil of our hands this is also reflecting back to a little bit of genesis chapter 4 eve gives birth to a son her firstborn son is called cain she thinks again like most moms say that she has birthed the messiah that he is going to save the entire world and what does he do He kills his brother and almost destroys everything. That That's Cain's legacy. But here, this kid is now born, and his dad says the exact same thing. Oh, he's going to save mankind. Ah, my son is the Messiah. Isn't this so wonderful? When in the end, Noah actually foreshadows the destruction of all mankind. It's like, he will bring his relief from the painful toil of our hands. Right. By everybody dying. And I guess when you're dead, you don't got to work. So, it kind of makes sense. I guess, just a little bit. It says, Lemek lived after his father Noah 595 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Limech were 777 years, and he died. Verse 32, After Noah was 500 years, so when he is good and established in his life, okay, it's time to have kids. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, Noah probably had a lot more kids than this, but these are the ones that the narrative focuses on. So you have one guy that follows God after, you know, in Genesis chapter 5, and then God decides to do something new. Now, when Noah shows up in the scripture, his name is a brand. New name. It's not found in any biblical literature. It's not found in any extra biblical literature. It's a brand new name that's never been seen before, which shows that God is gonna do a brand new thing in human history. Have anybody here seen the movie Noah? Okay. You should all repent. It was a horrible, horrible movie. I saw it too. What's the rock people? This isn't a never-ending story, right? This is this is Noah. (laughs) They look like good strong hands. No? Okay, just seeing. Falcor. Anyway, okay. <laughs> the movie noah has four things in common with the bible number one there's a guy named noah okay there's three sons that are listed there's a big old boat and there's a flood that's it okay anything else it was not in the bible not in the bible well except that everybody was really horrible okay but how bad was everybody on the earth at the time of noah Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive. This is pleasing, right, they're made in the right way, they have all the great curves, we love the girls. Okay. And they took as their wives any they chose. So there's a whole lot of speculation on these verses and what they mean. I think people watched binge-watched like the X-Files and then dropped acid and smoked some crack and watched Scooby-Doo all night and then tried to interpret the Bible. Because you get some really crazy, no, that's not how you do it. Okay. So, woo, no, no, it's not how you do it. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three main views on this to, to, and explain what these things meant. The assumption is that most Jews knew this story, so Moses didn't actually relate it all. He just you know, said, you know the story. Well, we don't know the story, so we get crazy and weird people saying a lot of weird stuff. So view number one, you know that these guys, these sons of God, daughters of men, they say, well, these are fallen angels. So I'll give you the craziest one first. Okay, These are fallen angels. Okay. And they say, well, the term sons of God, in the Old Testament, it refers to angels, and it does in certain places. Job one six has the throne room of God. It says when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So, oh look, it's angels. Now, other people say it can't be angels because Matthew twenty two thirty says in the resurrection, we will neither marry nor be given a marriage, but be like the angels in heaven. So apparently, the angels don't have the same plumbing. That, that you and I have and then people respond well no no these are fallen angels and are not angels in heaven so apparently if an angel falls from heaven he gets plumbing <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense okay If this is true, and this is what's happening, it's actually put in the scriptures to combat polytheistic religions of the day that had gods having sex with humans and making little demigods that were above humanity. What happens is if this was actually happening, these men are merely mortal. They are not gods. They're subject to God's judgment like everybody else, and what it's telling you is the world is getting worse because men are rebelling against God. The second view is that these are kings or dynastic rulers. Okay, so they took wives from wherever they please. Sin would be polygamy. God intended one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's how it was meant to be. The earth's rulers before the flood were to administer justice, but instead they are multiplying sin. So the sons of God can also be translated as sons of lords. Either way, the world's getting worse as men rebel against God. The third view, and I would say the correct view in this, are these are godly men descended from Seth to Adam's line. And this actually seems right in context, because you must always read the Bible. In context, or you get the movie Noah. Okay, so read the Bible in context. In context, what's written? You got Genesis chapter five is the line of Abel through his son Seth. You have Genesis six two, and the separation between Seth and Cain's line is becoming now mingled. John Calvin writes this: It was therefore basing gratitude in the posterity of Seth to mingle themselves with the children of Cain. This is not, the sons of God are demons, and they married girls and had Halloween babies. So it's not what it's saying. In Matthew 24, verses 37 and 38, Jesus talks about this. He says, like the days of Noah, when people were married and given in marriage. just talking about men being married to women. The third view simply says, the sons of God are godly guys. And they took daughters of men, hot chicks who don't know God and didn't care about who God was. Things were so bad on the earth that men who loved God married people who didn't care about who God was. That is something the scriptures say should not be done. But this, this is our main logic for the day of this, though. We say, oh, but she's cute. Or, oh, but he's hot. Like, that'll trump God, okay? It, that's not how it works. What happened is the world is getting worse as men are rebel against God. And God says, I'm sick of it. I'm just sick of it. Verse 3, then the Lord said, my spirit, this is the words, my breath, shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. So God says, these people do evil all the time. I'm not going to leave my breath there. When I'm an idiot driving on the freeway, sometimes I think about that and I go, ooh, God's breath is still here. So there's two ways to take 120, okay? Could be where God says, no one's going to live to be more than 120 years old. It doesn't make a lot of sense because the Guinness Book of World Records is full of people who do just that. So I think it's the other side where God says, I'm going to give mankind on the earth 120 years and then the floods come. I think that makes sense in context of the passage. Uh, 1 Peter 3.20 says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. God essentially says, the flood's coming, you have 120 years. 2 Peter 2.5 says, Noah is a preacher of righteousness. So for 120 years, Noah says, a flood is coming. A flood is coming. God's going to take care of the sin problem on the earth, but God has provided a way out. There is a boat. You can, you can live through this. There is salvation that is done over here. Nobody listens except his kids, and I doubt they had a choice. Genesis 6, verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, men, the men of renown. And again, people get all weird with this verse. They, you know, connect it with chapter 6 verse 2, Nephilim. Some of your Bibles will even put the word giants right there. I don't know why because the Hebrew word is the word Nephilim, that's what it actually says in the text, and they put it there because we don't know what it means. It's only used twice in the Bible, here and in Numbers 13, 13, God's people go into the promised land, and they're like, and God's like, take it, and they're like, well, we can't. Uh, with the Nephilim, we're there. We were like grasshoppers. It's, it was an excuse not to do what God was calling them to do. It's the only place to choose. We don't know what it means. And, but right here, it does tell you something. It says they were men of renown. It doesn't say giants. It doesn't say demon-possessed. It doesn't say thor Okay, it says they were men of renown, but that's not necessarily a good thing. This would be for us like the vain celebrities of the day. Okay, you got uh, the Charlie Sheen. Okay, he's jacked up person you can be, but he's popular, so we stick him on TV, knowing he's like a like a drugged out crazy crazy dude. It's it's Justin Bieber's. It's who don't care anything about anybody, and yet moms still let their little girls—at least should be little girls—do dudes don't go see Justin Bieber. Okay. I'm not just Bieber. Stop it. Okay. Yeah. So you know it's 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 like moms still let their kids go see the movies. Or, you know it, he's and he's, he doesn't care really about anything. It's it's the Bill Cosbys. It's the Lady Gagas. It's the it's the Brad Pitts who leaves his life for wife for another. It's the Bachelor. It's the real desperate housewives. It's most of these people who don't know God, but everyone knows who they are and wants to be them. These are the ones who ran the culture. This is what the world was like in Noah's day. So much different than ours. No, it sounds just like our world. So the pattern, live, sin, die, live, sin, die. Enoch comes as an example, live, sin, die. The world gets worse as men rebel against God. And then you get Noah. You come to Noah. I know half the message and we just get Noah. I'll be quick. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Theologians will call this total depravity. Our thoughts, our actions, our lives, everything is stained by sin. It says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The wording there in Hebrew means sobbing, that God is crying over mankind's sin. God sheds tears over mankind's sin. What do we do? We blame it on other people. We pawn it off on something else. And yet God is the only one who seems to care. And when people say things like, oh, all gods are the same, all religions are the same, I think that's dumb because there is no religion anywhere that has a God like this that cares this much about us and our condition and our sin and then does something about it, who loves us and cares for us and feels and is involved with our condition because God's going to do something about the sin problem on the earth. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And we think, oh, that's so cruel. That's because we're just like them. That's because we're just like them. And what God does is is he comes and he's going to do something different through Noah. Now, if someone was only evil to you all the time, only evil, to, like, like they're stabbing your grandma and kicking your dog and egging your house. and Every day, you're know, like, stop, and they keep doing it. What would you want done with them? You want them gone. Like, get out of here, right? God still gives them 120 years. And God does offer salvation by sending a guy named Noah. Why Noah? People say, well, Noah was righteous. That's why God said, no, he wasn't. In context of Genesis 6, it says only evil all the time. So that would include Noah. No good guys in the Bible. The Bible is all bad guys and Jesus. Okay, That's the only thing you get. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The word favor is the first occurrence in the Bible of the Hebrew word for grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. First thing Noah got was grace. God's answer is not Cain, is not Abel, is not Seth, it's not men of renown and Halloween babies. It's not Noah. It is grace. That's God's answer. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. What comes first, the righteousness or the grace? The grace. The grace comes first. The grace brought the effect that he was righteous, but the cause was grace. Unmerited favor. What was Noah like? We don't know. We don't know. He could be like a pervert downloading porn on his Gopherwood Apple laptop. You know, he could be smacking his wife around and stealing from his boss or goes to Hancock and becomes an atheist. Maybe he talks on his cell phone and driving his boat around the lake and running everybody off the lake. Ah, oh, curses you, Noah! You know, he could have been. He could have been that guy, just a worthless, ordinary dude. God gives him grace. Why? The same reason God offers grace to you, because God is good. That's why. And it's so funny to me when people say things like, "Oh, I wish God was fair." No, you don't. You don't wish God was fair, because God would have flooded the earth and said, "There, that's fair. They're all dead. I'm done. Fair. Th- th- that's it." But God is not fair. God's good. He's compassionate. God is loving. This is the pattern that God has always done through the scriptures. God picks pathetic people and he saves them you got Abraham patriarch of three different faiths in the world today God takes him out of a place called Babylon where he's worshiping false gods and God speaks to him I'm going to make you the father of a nation I my son is going to come through your line God does amazing things God we looked at Samson a few weeks ago horrible do what God keeps loving him and showing him grace God sends his people into captivity in Babylon one to grow them but two to show grace to the Babylonians Paul is a murderer. God picks Paul and loves him. God is always picking pathetic servants and offering them grace. Why do I get to preach to you? Because I'm probably more pathetic than all of you. That's that's why. I I just get grace. Real Christians do not think they're better than anybody else. We think we're worse, but we understand that we have received grace. It is why Jesus comes. Born, live, die. Born, live, die. Or Jesus, born, born again, live forever. That's the good news. God chose Noah, I think, because Noah was horrible and God has a great sense of humor. That's why I think he picks Noah. It's good. And if you feel sinful, if you feel lost, like your life has no meaning and no one's going to love you, God says, I will give you grace. That is the story of Noah right there. And God's grace changes his life like God's grace can change your life. So what happens is God says, build a boat. I'm going to take everything out. Noah 120 years builds this boat. The floods come. God says, Get in the boat. They get in the boat. Shuts the door. Noah doesn't go crazy like in the movie. Dummy thing, you know. So, anyway, so, uh, so God sends the rain that rains for 40 days, 40 nights. You know the story. The water's on the earth for like a year, and then finally the water starts to go down. Flip over to Genesis 8. You're like, What? You just missed the whole boat story. I know. The story's not about the boat. It's about the grace of God. So, go to Genesis chapter 8, verse 13. I'm skipping all the best parts. I get it, okay. Genesis 8, verse 13, it says, in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off from the earth. This is a New Year's Day. This is, you know, a new century, a new month, the first day of that month. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. So it takes 56 more days since it kind of dries out a little bit where they come to rest before they can walk outside the ark. Where you don't walk out in your boots and they they get stuck and you kind of lose them in the mud. No? Okay, I used to move sprinkler pipe when I was in college, so there you go. Um, verse 15, then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And this is the amazing thing. After Noah gets and understands this grace, he starts to listen to everything God says. Build a boat. Okay, there's like no water here. It's Okay, you're gonna need it. Build a boat. So he builds a boat. Go into the boat. He goes into the boat. Now, God, he waits till God says, "Come out of the boat." I will tell you, if this was me, I'd be crawling out that little window they had for the birds, because I mean, you got a whole year with your relatives. Do you know your relatives? Seriously, you know, uh, no one's had a bath. I mean, like, I am getting out of here. It is a stinky mess. This is horrible. So, you know, but Noah waits till God says, "Get out, get out of the boat." Verse 18, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And what does Noah see? He sees the zombie apocalypse minus the zombies. There's just nothing. Okay, there's just nothing. No livestock, no birds, just quiet. And if this was you, what would you say? What, what would you do at this moment? What's your priority? Do, would you get depressed because there's nothing there? Would you be like, I need to build a shelter or build a home? Would you take a walk? Would you take a bath? Yes, take a bath. That's, that's a good one. You know, would you find some food? Would you build a fire? What do you do? You know what Noah does first thing off the ark? Worships God before the winery. Before the sin sets in, he understands the grace. (laughs) Chapter 8, verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now some people say, Well, what's he doing? He took them in two by two. No, he got seven clean animals on the ark and two and pairs of every unclean animal. And they're having babies on the ark too because there's not much else to do. So anyway, they got lots of babies on the ark. Noah gets off the ark. I'm I'm sure his sons and daughters-in-law had lots of babies too. Anyway, so Noah gets off the ark, names his sin, he confesses to God the first day that is what he does. His first priority, even after all this had just happened, is to confess his sin and he sheds the blood of animals to atone. Noah has great gratitude that God has provided a way for salvation. God does not command Noah to do this. Noah does this on his own initiative. And I keep trying to get you guys to understand a couple terms in my effort to have you guys get a little bit of theology. I'll give you two words, propitiation and expiation. These are very important words to understand. A propitiation means to make favorable. It deals with the idea that we have now can have a relationship with God again. God has made favorable to us because he has taken away our sin. Expiation means to make amends for or make pious. It's the removal or the cleansing of sin. Propitiation includes expiation, but expiation doesn't necessarily include propitiation you're like i'm totally lost got it okay um expiation doesn't make us favorable in god's eyes it only removes sin you would propitiate a person and you would expiate a problem so you have the flood the flood is expiation of a problem what's the problem sin it's rampant upon the earth and it's taking over everything and so god takes care of that sin problem then what does god do he makes relationship with man again. He makes propitiation by his own grace to do this. This is how Noah worships God and his relationship with him again because God has propitiated Noah in his eyes and this is what happens verse 21 and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma this is not about cooking animals on a fire it's not driving down Broadway and smelling tri-tip this is about worship this is what goes up to God throughout the scriptures and all the way in Revelation chapter 8 verses 3 and 4 it says another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angels hands this is the idea that our praise and our prayers and our worship in every aspect of our lives goes up before God like a fragrant aroma it's a metaphor of what's happening when we praise when we worship when we treat others with kindness and goodness and love and grace when we worship God throughout our lives this goes up before God and God smells that and it's pleasing. It says, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said, in his heart, which goes all the way back to Genesis 6, when God said, in his heart, I'm not going to allow man on the earth anymore. God now says, in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. God knows that, but he says, neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And you see, God, for the first time, he's actually happy here because man is beginning to truly live again. Man is living as God intended by walking with him. Now today, does God not destroy the land again because we're so good? No, it's because he's so good. That's why. We are a people just like those in Noah today, probably a lot like Noah. You get up every day, you look at yourself in the mirror, you say, oh, look at me. I'm so wonderful. I'm the best person in the world. I just love me. We make ourselves into little gods, but God still shows us favor and grace now. Uh, verse 22, God says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and summer, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. doesn't say there won't be famines or floods or droughts in California, but, but that God will not wipe man out from the face of the earth. No matter what the environmental, ozone-depleting, water world going out of food fanatics say, okay, God says there will be life till I decide there won't be. There may not be life in California, okay, but God says there will be life I said so there won't be. Why? Grace. That's why. So let me pull this together. When Jesus comes and he preaches and he talks about grace, you see him almost reference the Noah story more than anything else. He is constantly referring back to Noah. And I think part of that is because we have been offered grace and that grace is meant to be shared and extended to everybody around It's meant to be spread like Noah was supposed to be a preacher of righteousness. So are we. That's our job. When Jesus comes, Jesus is expiation and propitiation. Again, like I said, propitiation includes expiation. But you have to understand that Christ's death and resurrection is expiation and propitiation. So he dies on the cross. What does he do with that? He takes care of the sin problem. He expiates our sin. He rises from the grave. He gives us his relationship that he has with God the Father. So we have a relationship with God again. He propitiates us as a people, the exact same thing that happened in Noah's day happens for us. Propitiation and expiation through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The whole point of the story of Noah is to point you to Jesus. That's the point of Noah. It's not about a boat. It's not about giraffes hanging out the window going, Wee! It's It's... It's not about Halloween babies. It is about Noah pointing to the grace and the goodness of God. Propitiation is a work that Jesus did on the cross to appease and satisfy God's wrath against sinners and we could be part and have a relationship. Again, Noah is the precursor of our understanding of the fullness of grace. Jesus atones for our sin. Jesus offers us life. Jesus clothes our shame. It all takes place in the person of Jesus. The big idea of all the scriptures, is Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You don't need to experience a worldwide flood or atone through the sacrifice of the blood of animals because Christ did it with his own blood. In Ephesians 5.2, it says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When God sees us and smells, he sees and smells Jesus. We are now made propitious to God. We have relationship again. And I think just as Noah's offering is fragrant to God, we are told in Romans chapter 12 that our lives are meant to be these living sacrifices. That we bring a pleasing aroma to who he is. I think one of the most amazing things about Genesis chapter 8 is the first verse. It says, God remembered Noah. And this isn't the idea that God forgot about Noah on the boat. Ooh. What's that guy over there in that stinky boat? Oh, it's Noah. That's not what happened. What it means is that God came and acted in kindness towards. That's that word remembered in the Old Testament. That's what it means. Acted in kindness towards. God remembered Noah. God remembers us. That is why he sent his son. You and I should hopefully live lives that remember him as well. God is constantly calling his people, remember, remember, remember. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget what I have called you to and with that new perspective of grace, it should show, so shape our lives that we live in obedience and grace. And so the question becomes, how do you live? How is your life lived? How do you worship? I think most importantly is this question. What does your fragrance smell like? Now, in one sense, before God, God sees and he smells Christ. We are made perfect forever, those who are being made day by day, holy. But in another sense, we all have a fragrance. What is your smell like? Do you need some Febreze? Or are you Febreze? You know? I mean, what, what is it? What is it? And, and sometimes it's really hard for us to kind of figure that out. And that's one of the reasons why it's really good to have friends around us because you can say, what does my fragrance smell like? And RGC, we actually did this uh, last week. It kind of came to this question. to you know, what are your faults? People have a really hard time seeing their own faults. We think we know what they are, but we really don't. So I kind of went around and got to tell everybody what their faults were. It was a lot of fun for me. I enjoy doing stuff like that. Then they told me, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm awful. That's not what I thought my faults were. But, you know, and and people, and it's good to understand because even in the midst of all those faults and all those horrible things, it's not meant to make you shame, give you shame and, and those kind of stuff. What it's meant to do is grow us because all those things have been taken care of in the person of Christ. And we grow and live lives that have relationship with him, and we become completely different and live in obedience. Why? Because he first loved us, and he first saved us. And he has been good to us. This is one of the reasons we talk about communion every single week. That's why you break that cracker. It reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. So we get relationship with God again. We get to take all of our garbage and stuff and lay it down. All the, all the horrible, stupid things of our lives, we lay it down. And we get to live and walk in a propitious relationship with our gracious and good God. This is a remembrance of expiation, but also propitiation where God brings us relationship with him again. The band's going to come up. As I do with deacons and elders in the back, if you need prayer, if you're in a place where you've been trying to expiate your own life, well, I've got to be better, I've got to do this, or I've got to do that, when I do that, then I'll get my life cleared up. That's not how it works. The understanding is that Jesus has already expiated the problem at the cross. He has already put us in a position where we get to have a relationship with the gracious and good God who has come to save and rescue and redeem us. This is what we understand. This is what we understand. That God is good and it is not about us. We must get our eyes off of ourselves and onto this gracious and good God for anything in this world to ever change. We must be like Noah came after he understood grace and that is to be a people who are constantly pointing to God's righteousness in and through us, the grace that he has given us, living lives to honor who he is. If you want to know more about that or have questions or need prayer, they'd love to pray with you about that. There's offering boxes on the side wall on the back, and we give because God gives so much to us, giving so part of the worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done. And there's food and stuff in the back. I saw someone run through here with donuts earlier because they have been made propitious to you, and they love you. Anyway, uh, grab something to eat. And like we always say, the reason we do that is so you guys can connect to one another. Maybe you don't have any deep friendships in your life where someone can actually ask you the question of what does your fragrance smell like and actually be honest enough to tell you. And not try and hide it. But be honest enough, just to say, well, this is, dude, you need some Febreze because you stink. Okay, <laughs> uh, Where we have these people who can say these things to us, we need that. And so we're constantly trying to get you connected with other people in a way that has your relationships grow deeper and deeper and deeper. So I invite you to grab something to eat. And to remember that our God is good. Our God is good. When people say, oh, all gods are the same, they're not. They're not. Our God knows our condition, where we were, and didn't just say, figure it out. Our God came and did something about it and rescued and redeemed us. And our lives now rest in his more than capable hands, so we trust him. And if you have never trusted Jesus with your life, there is no better day to do so than today. You know He has provided a way out. His name is Jesus. Trust him with your life, because he is the one who is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as a people and help us to understand your goodness That you take all the concepts that we look at through Noah's story and understand that it wasn't Noah who made himself righteous. It was you that made him righteous. It was you that gave him relationship. It was you that gave him hope in the midst of a world that was falling apart because of our own sin. Teach us what it means. To understand that you, as our great God, have, has expiated our sin problem. And that you, as our great God, has sought to restore relationship with us again. That you have done all that is required of us. And we have nothing to boast in except the greatness of you. So teach us to take our eyes off ourselves and place them on you and live lives out in the world of worship. That we wouldn't just think worship is music. That we wouldn't think worship is listening to someone talk at us for half an hour to 45 minutes. That, That worship is how we live all our lives and most importantly how we live it in front of those who don't know you yet. Teach us the ways to be Your people and your children. So the world would know as we lift you up and love you. Thank you for loving us. Because your love for us is not about us, it's about you and your goodness that you give to your people. Grow us in the ways to understand your love better and better, to live lives that honor your goodness in us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.